Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here, fired up for today's guest, Glenn Packiam. Glenn, you ready to roar? Come on, John. Great to be on with you this morning. Awesome. Let's do this. All right, Roar Nation, check this out. Glenn Packiam is an associate senior pastor at New Life Church, a multi-congregational church in Colorado Springs. He also serves as a lead pastor at New Life Downtown. It's a thriving congregation in the heart of the city. He's an ordained priest with the Anglican Church of North America. Anglican. Anglican, sorry. Angelic angelic sounds awesome. Actually, I like angelic better. Just tell them we just changed it. Uh, And guys, he also has a doctorate in theology and ministry from Durham University in the UK. Uh, Glenn and his wife, Holly, and their children live in Colorado Springs. So Angelic Church of North America. I just started a new denomination, everybody. You did. We got two members, me and you, John. Angelic. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's what I love about my show. My guests are used to me. Uh, doing, you know, there's even been some that I've told my guests. I'm like, hey, just introduce yourself because I'm going. That's great. I'm going to hack this. That's great. <laughs> so, all right, man. Glenn, why don't you give us kind of a 30,000 foot view of who you are and just kind of currently and what you're doing? Yeah. So I've been at the same church, New Life Church in Colorado Springs. I've been there for 19 years, started out kind of in worship ministry, was involved leading for our college group, for our main services. We had some bands and uh, albums over the years. We were talking about a mutual friend of ours, John, and my music kind of days. And about 10 years ago, started switching over to the teaching and pastoral uh, side in a different mode of pastoral ministry. And then in 2012, our church kind of developed a different model of being a church and decided to do kind of like the multi-site thing, but in a different way. We did it with multi-congregations, meaning every every uh, congregation has live preaching, uh, live worship, all that stuff, and has a slightly different flavor. It's contextualized to where it is in the city. So I lead our downtown congregation that's been going seven years or so, uh, but then also help provide leadership to the church as a whole. Uh, yeah. And, and I, you know, we can get into this too. I grew up in Malaysia. That's where I'm originally from. I'm a first generation immigrant. Um, actually this weekend's kind of fun. August 25th uh, marks 10 years of officially being a U.S. citizen, which is really great. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but I came over to the States twice. Once when I was 10, um, with my family, my parents went to a Bible college in Portland, Oregon. So we lived there for three years English was always my first language, but I kind of say those were the years that I learned to speak American, you know, got the accent down, middle school, all that. Then we moved back to Malaysia for my high school years, and um, I homeschooled using an American kind of extension deal, and then came back to the States to go to college, went to school, a Christian school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, called Oral Roberts University, and my wife there, and then that led to me coming out to New Life. So that's, that's the snapshot. Man, that's awesome. Okay, so let's go back a little bit before uh, what took you to Oral Roberts University? Did you get saved at some point, I guess, before you decided <laughs> to go there? Because that's a big that's a big commitment. 
It's very, yeah. Well, you know, my parents, so my mom grew up in a Christian home, kind of nominal Christian home, actually from an Anglican background, Anglican, not Anglican. <laughs> and, and my dad, my dad though, so she, so my mom was in Singapore, which is just right south of Malaysia, tiny little island connected to it, kind of connected by a bridge. And uh, Malaysia, my dad was in Malaysia and he was a Hindu. So he grew up in this Hindu family. They met at the University of Singapore and basically, my mom was like, look, I'm not marrying a Hindu. Like, I may not be, uh, uh, you know, an on fire for God Christian, but I know enough not to marry a Hindu. So my dad, my dad converted uh, to Christianity, which is kind of radical. Um, yeah. It cost him quite a bit in terms of his family relationships for several years. But by the time my sister and I were born, my parents were, you know, going to church and following Jesus and, and, and born again, you know, in, the, in that, that phrase. And... Um, so yeah, so so we were we were raised. I my memory was growing up in a good Christian home and and following the Lord and wanting to serve the Lord. And from a young age, I I wanted to surrender my life to Him. So I kind of knew I was destined for some sort of ministry role. Not I mean obviously you can serve the Lord in any capacity, and I, I totally believe that. But as a kid, I kind of felt like this call toward um, the pastoral church kind of role. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm I'm curious. Did the did for your dad? Did that get repaired years down the road? Because I'm sure that was a big deal for him. It was a big deal, John. Uh, you know his yeah his family they they kind of cut him off for a few years, but it got it got better. Yeah, um, things got kind of cordial. We'd see them a couple times a year, and then I would say in the last ten years or so, it's really gotten a lot better. And uh, in fact, some of his siblings have have. Um, uh, come to know the Lord in kind yeah. of final moments of life and all that's been really powerful. Oh, I love, I loved hearing that. Okay. So you decided to go to Oral Roberts university, uh, kind of just take me off a little bit from there and getting into, you feel that call to get into ministry. Yeah. So I started my undergrad was in theological historical studies. And then I also started to get involved with the chapel praise and worship team there. And then that led to the connection out at New Life Church. And uh, and uh, I came out to sort of intern for a year, and then that turned into a job. And you know, 19 years later, here we are. Man, the rest and is history, huh? The rest is history, yeah. Yeah. It's funny how internship, I was, um, my daughter just went off to college uh, a couple, uh, last uh, July, this last July, sorry, I was going to say a couple months ago. And, um, that's, I was just telling her the power of internship and just being able to connect and meet with people. Cause you don't realize you think you're just going off to school, but really to me, college is an opportunity to build, you're building relationship. It's relationships. It's, it's not so much about what you're learning and being in school. Well, granted that stuff helps, but it's really about building relationship and getting to know people. I totally agree with that. Some of my closest friends are friends that I made in those years at ORU and, and many of them are out here at New Life, so it's a great blessing, man. And 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 uh, we're enjoying ourselves. And of course, New Life, you know, New Life went through a major, major. Uh, so you were there for that. I forgot about I, that. There was a I huge was there for, deal. Yeah, so there was a scandal late two thousand six with the founding senior pastor. I mean, it made news headlines all around the world. It was a terrible uh, situation, really sad. And and then new senior pastor came in the following year. And three months into his time, there was a shooting uh, that happened on our campus. That's right. I remember. Two, two young people lost their lives. So the church went through a tremendous amount of hardship in 13 months. But I'll tell you, John, that also was a big part of, of refining us. 
Yeah. I talk in the book a little bit about the story of New Life and what that did for us, even kind of refining our sense of what it means to be a church, what it means to put the focus on Jesus, and what it means to serve the places of pain in our city, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think we were doing lots of great things in those years. I don't want to make it sound like it was all bad and then now it's all good. There was lots of good stuff. Yeah. But I do think it was easy to kind of get off track and the like, yeah, bigger, better, making albums, traveling, conferences. And you kind of think that those are the difference makers and you forget about, wait a minute, you're right here in your own community. What good are you doing right here for the, for the hurting and the, and the broken in your own city? So the last 12 years have been a really beautiful journey of, of being humbled and of yeah. learning what it means to serve and all of that. Hey, I'm glad you brought that up, Glenn. I want to ask you that in, in all honesty. So I think a lot of times in ministry, especially, and this is for younger people in ministry, that they think that bigger is better. And what I mean by that, and you just said it, is traveling and making albums and like as mm -hmm. if we have to have this massive stage or world stage. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious from that shift that you guys have made being in the community, does it feel more richer or fuller in the sense that drove people together that you almost feel like you're making more of an impact now because yeah. families are tighter? No doubt about it. I mean, no doubt about it, John. I, I, I think, you know, we, we did have a great small group system in those years. So people were very well connected to one another, but to be fair, there was also a lot of, it's just kind of an adrenaline rush, you know, when you see, you, you know, a pastor at the time, you see him on these news networks, you see, he's talking about, dropping in on phone calls with the president, you know, we would have a pastor's conference and, and George W, you know, phoned in and put it on the loudspeakers, you know, so there's stuff like that, that you're, you kind of get caught up in that and think, wow, we're really, we're really awesome. And I, <laughs> and I think when you go through, when you go through a shaking, like the scandal and then the shooting, you realize, man, those are not the things that matter. Like we need to follow Jesus faithfully. We need to serve Jesus humbly. And uh, I, I think you recalibrate your definitions of stuff. I mean, what does it really mean to be blessed? What, you know, you know, so a lot of the themes in the book have been percolating in me for, for over a decade because of the journey that we've all been through where we had to redefine some of our, some of our concepts of these things. Absolutely. You know what I just realized? It just, I just had this moment. I don't know which one of your pastors is there now, but one of them came out of Hereford, Texas yeah, and came out boy. of, Okay. So, uh, I, yeah, so I lived in, um, that's right. I just was putting all tying all this together. I lived in Hereford yeah. the last 10 years oh, so, and we went to Trinity for like seven or eight years. So I knew, I, I knew there was a connection. I'm just putting it together. That's funny. Yeah. Our senior pastor, Brady Boyd, uh, spent some time in Hereford and then really helped uh, gateway church when they were booming. Well, they're still booming, but yeah. in their explosive growth kind of years, you know? Yeah. That's exciting. Okay. So let's talk about your, your book. It's Blessed, Broken, Given. And it says how your story becomes sacred in the hands of Jesus. So why don't you give us the backdrop of why you wrote the book? And then I want to yeah. dive into those three aspects. Yeah. Well, so these words, blessed, broken, given, come from the Gospels. And they're the words that are used to describe what Jesus does when he has bread in his hands. And Luke's gospel in particular uh, tells three stories of Jesus taking bread, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it. One is the feeding of the 5,000. One is Passover. The others with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. But the point is, uh, he, he's using it very often, especially at Passover, to speak about himself. He says, look, I'm the bread of heaven. 
And I think right there, that's really significant because Jesus doesn't choose something shiny and glorious. He doesn't take a piece of gold and say, I'm the gold that has come down from it. You know, he chooses something common and ordinary. And it, it's, it says to us right away that God is interested in inhabiting and working with the most ordinary parts of our lives. And so not only does it reveal Jesus and who he is, but actually it reveals who we are in Christ. So it says something about our life with Christ. So I, I have found in pastoral ministry so many times, you know, life is just filled with ordinary moments. You know, this morning before this phone call, you know, I'm helping make breakfast, get the kids out the door with my wife, you know, school. It's just normal stuff. It's not glamorous. You're dealing with, uh, you know, work situations or whatever. And, and, and we wonder, look, does this matter to God? Can this, can this really make a kingdom difference? Can this make an impact? And I want to say, look, it's precisely the ordinary things that Jesus takes in his hands and does yeah. something uh, beautiful with. So, so each of those words, you, you know, end up, end up speaking to us in a particular way. But, but I really, uh, it, it's about encouraging people to see the glory in the ordinary, the grace in the midst of their mess and, and purpose in each moment of the day. I'm really excited about that, that you said that, because that's kind of the whole purpose of why I started my podcast three years ago was to tell people like, hey, some people are called to be pastors, some worship leaders, some whatever full time ministry. But that's like less than one percent of the Christian of the body. And the thing is, is if people will catch the concept that that Jesus wants to show up at our work, he wants to show up in our marriage and our kids and every aspect of our life. We just got to invite him and let him. And that's where true ministry happens is in our relationships with those around us. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And, you know, part of our problem is we kind of divide the world into like natural world, supernatural world, or we, or we say, oh, earthly things and spiritual things, you know. And I understand, you know, to some extent why we, we do that. But when you read the scriptures, they talk about the world as being God's world. You know, the yeah. psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Or I think of the scene in Isaiah when he sees the angels and they're like, holy, holy, holy. But then they say, the whole earth is full of his glory. Yeah. Um, I, I love the story in Genesis where Jacob has that dream, you know. the I was just thinking of that right when yeah. you said that. Yeah, yeah. The, the ladder going up and down. Yeah, stairway to heaven dream, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and he wakes up and, he's, and he says, surely the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. And I'm telling you, John, we, we could look back on our day and think, wow. Surely the Lord was with me in my cubicle, in my car, uh, at, at the grocery store, and I didn't even know it. And so part of this whole – part of my heart for this book is to help people open their eyes and, and, and see it. You know, it, it, It's not natural versus supernatural. It's kind of sacramental. And, and, and you know what I mean by that is people call the Lord's table – Christians call the Lord's table a sacrament, You know, bread and wine and all this stuff. Well, what are we saying? Are we saying it becomes something special, something different? I, I don't really know. You know, like there's been lots of debate about that. I think the point just is that God meets us in the midst of or using ordinary things like bread and wine. Hey, Roar Nation. So at the end of every show, I ask my guests, hey, do you have a life hack or something that you feel like that makes life easier? And today I'm going to share one with you that I recently found called Policy Genius. So a friend of mine told me about Policy Genius and I got online and I thought, I wonder how long this is going to take. So I got on there and I got to tell you, I was extremely impressed. So from beginning to start, it took about 10 minutes. Uh, they showed 
shot me back multiple quotes uh, that I was really impressed with. And I decided to go through the entire process because I thought if I'm going to share this with Roar Nation and who I feel are family and friends, then I want to make sure the experience was good. So walked through it, uh, filled out the information. And what was really impressive was, is I had to do a medical exam and they even offered to come to my office uh, to make it easier on me. So all said and done, the paperwork at policygenius.com took like maybe 10 minutes. Uh, then within a couple days, I did my medical exam and everything was taken care of. And also they gave me a caseworker who I was really impressed uh, because they just sent me either a text or an email and it was darn near seamless. So just want to share that with you guys. I'm really impressed with Policy Genius. I hope you guys would go check it out. Uh, if you're looking for even, even home insurance, auto insurance, disability insurance, whatever they have it. But I personally went and got a life insurance policy just to make sure, uh, God forbid, anything happened to me that my family was safe So and that they would be well taken care of. So again, go check it out at policygenius.com. And uh, I would love to hear feedback in your experience. So please either message me um, at john at areyoureal.com uh, or sorry, john at areyoureal.org or also uh, go on our Facebook page and send me a message as well. So anyways, have a great day. I want to share a story with you real quick. And this is for our listeners. Yeah. This is really cool. This happened yesterday. So my wife and I go out to eat at a restaurant. We're taking lunch break. And um, there's our, our waiter, uh, who's the bartender, is, um, and I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure he was gay. And um, and he kept on helping us. And, and and as he was coming up, I just noticed he had this really great smile. And and some for some Christians would be like, oh, he's gay or whatever. And, you know, they, they just get religious about it. And and it just kept, something kept on coming to my mind. And I felt the stirring of the Lord just saying something. And And I looked at my wife and I said, who does he look like to you? And she said, I don't know. And I said, Jack Black, remember the movie, um, uh, the musical movie where they play music oh, and all that? School of Rock. School of Rock. Yes. Thank you. And she goes, oh my gosh, yes. So then I looked at her and I said, the Lord's got a word for him. And I think you have part of it. And she's like, she just kind of looked at me and she's like, all right, let me think about it. So anyways, he comes to the back to the table. I said, hey, can I share something with you? And he said, yeah. And I said, uh, uh, well, I told him about the Jack Black thing and he kind of got excited. And I said, I'd like to share something with you. And I said, uh, we were just sitting here praying for you. And, uh, and I said, and, uh, the Lord is just really uh, showing me that you have a gift of, I don't know if it's theater or music or something, but he really wants to bring that out in you. You should have seen his face, Glenn. He lit up and he said, I played four years in high school and I played the clarinet and I've just kind of set my dream to the side because I don't have any opportunity, but I was first chair and I did all that. And he goes, actually, I picked up my clarinet for the first time yesterday. Oh my gosh. And it was just wow. really cool. And then through that, That's my great. wife was able to share something and just to see his countenance light up, it was like, God actually cares enough for him in that moment, we're just eating lunch to share that he put a dream inside that young man's heart and, and to bring him on that path that obviously God wants to heal and bring him wholeness and to bring that gift out in him. I was like, that's ministry, man. That is being able to change somebody at lunch, you know? I love that. Exactly. Every moment of every day to just say, okay, Lord, what's, what are you doing here? You're with me. And there, there is a sense of, of, of it, it's not that we need to change the deep. Sometimes we need to rearrange our schedule, but a lot of times it's just changing our perspective on what we're doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's dive into blessed if we can. So we talked about blessed, broken, given. You gave us the overall view. So let's go into blessed. So when you, you know, when people hear the word blessed, they think, what does this word mean? You know, and I, I mentioned to you, I lived in Tulsa for four years. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of versions of defining blessed that has to do with prosperity or getting all your prayers answered, living the American dream, you know, uh, even on social media, if you go hashtag blessed, you know, what, what pulls up, you know? So, so I think, I think we have to recalibrate what we mean by that word. And, and I, I uh, suggest in the book that, that to be blessed is not a state. It's a story. It's a story that you're part of. It's a story with a good beginning. And so we go all the way back to Genesis and you find God making the world on purpose and you find God looking out over the world and, and blessing it, blessing all that he has made. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful scene because even as Christians, we kind of think, oh, the beginning of my story is all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Like, wait a minute, the Bible doesn't begin that way. Yeah. Sin is part of the story. No doubt. We're going to get there. But listen, the, the, the beginning of the story is that. God delights in this world. God delights in you. He made you. He blessed it. He plans to rescue it all, you know? And um, and so so blessedness is about God retelling your story, about God renaming you. I think about in the New Testament where, you know, Paul addresses these Christians who are a mess, like the Christians in Corinth, and, and he calls them saints. <laughs> They're not saints. <laughs> but just realizing, oh, wait a minute. God sees me differently. My story is different. My identity is different. My, my destiny is different. So blessed, being blessed is, is about um, seeing yourself as God sees you, essentially. You know, I love that you said that. Somebody challenged me. This was years ago. They asked me, they said, are you a sinner or are you a saint? Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm a sinner that's saved by grace. And they looked at me and they said, really? They said, the Bible says you're a saint. And but you refer to yourself as a sinner, and I just really realized that it's it really is perspective because um, what we focus on is what we become. So if if all I tell myself is that I'm a sinner saved by grace, well then I always focus on my sin. But if I but if I like you just said, God renamed them and called them saints, well then all of a sudden I'm living up to what God's called me to be. That's exactly right. Who we are. I mean, it's 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 pretty rare in the New Testament, and there's a couple of occasions where people are named as sinners. But it's arguable that he's talking about people before they're in Christ. And it's not to say we don't sin. Obviously, we sin. Yeah. But, but we're still beloved children of God, and we're still yeah. saints. And so that's our grounding. That's our identity. And for people to recover that, to say, look, man, in the kingdom of God, there's no first class citizens, second class citizens. There's no, uh, you know, there's no status divisions here between saints and then the barely saved. You're in Christ. You've been renamed. You've been blessed. This is how God delights in you and sees you. And from there, let's move on to the rest of how we're supposed to live. You know? Yeah, that's good, man. Thanks for sharing that, Glenn. Okay, so you want to dive into broken? Are you are you done with yeah, blessed or yeah, you want to go yeah. into broken? Okay. <laughs> no, let's do it. So, okay. so broken is an interesting word because broken, you know, broken can refer to so many things. And and often we think of things, you know, we use the word broken like that's ah, not working anymore. And and Brokenness, you know, in Christian circles, I, I, in the book, I, I'm talking about brokenness in three ways. One is the brokenness of our own frailty. You know, just the sure. sense of like, I, uh, it's kind of like the psalmist who says, um, 
he has compassion on us like a father has for his children. He knows our frame, that we are just dust. You know, there's a finiteness to us. We're limited. That's okay. There's another kind of brokenness that, that has to do with our failure. Like when we've, we've messed up, you know, we, we've, this is where we talk about sin and fractured relationships and, and broken situations. And then there's a brokenness that comes from suffering and pain. When, when, you know, like the fallenness of the world out there touches us and leaves us brokenhearted. Mm. And, uh, and so each of those are kind of different, but we can place each of those kinds of brokenness in the hands of Jesus. And he does something uh, with it, you know? So, you know, the picture of bread, bread that is not broken, cannot be shared. You know, if you're going to break bread together with, with someone, you're, you're literally going to break it so that you can share it. And I think one of the great opportunities when we, when we are experiencing brokenness is that it can actually open us up to others. It can yeah. open us up to community. And so I talk in the book about stories of uh, my own life being discouraged, my wife going through some postpartum stuff. And, and, and right when we were planting our downtown congregation, thinking that we were supposed to be the pastors and the strong ones, but needing all this help from people around us. And, but how that was such a good thing. Because it, it, it taught our church that there's a mutuality, there's a back and forth, you know, in, in, in relationships. But brokenness also opens us up to the grace of God. And so there's something so beautiful, John, about recognizing what Jesus does, how he fills in all those cracked and broken places, um, and actually brings redemption in a way that is stronger um, than our brokenness. You know, I was thinking... As you were saying that, just all through scripture, the first one that comes to my mind is like even King David. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, a lot of times I think we put people on pedestals, whether it's pastors or saints or Paul or David or, you know, mm-hmm. all through. We can, it's so easy. But really, you know, when I read scripture what I, or when I read the Bible, I read these broken people mm-hmm. that did, did, did bad things just like all of us do. And, and what you said is is you see God's grace and his redemption. He comes in and he rebuilds their story into something yes. beautiful. Yes. Yes. And you know, a great picture of that, John, is this Japanese pottery called Kintsugi. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Tell me. Man, so you can Google a picture of this Kintsugi. It's like K-I-N-T-S-U-I-G-I, Kintsugi. And it literally means golden joinery or golden seams. And what would happen is these, these pieces of pottery would break and they would repair it with like this liquid resin that looked like gold. And it created these golden seams in it that ended up making it more beautiful to the point that in the mm. 15th century, art traders would like deliberately break pottery so that they could repair it because it ended up more beautiful. Wow. And I thought, man, that that is like grace is God finds yeah. us and makes us more beautiful than we would have been even without the fall or even without the brokenness. And that that's that's a miracle, man. You know, like we, I, I think about the power of resurrection. Resurrection does not prevent death, but it defeats it and makes something more glorious than we would have had without it. You know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's kind of mind boggling. Like, God, how did you do that? Yeah. I love that. Uh, I, last week's interview and uh, who did I interview? Now I got to go back. Uh, Terry Wordle. Uh, he just wrote oh, a book yeah. as well. Okay. You know, Terry, I guess. I, I know of him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Formation, formational prayer and all of that stuff. Okay. So he was last week's interview, but we were talking about that and just how God just restores and just makes things, the transformation just makes things beautiful. And anyways, it just, I think it's just the theme that I think so many times, People, I think what he was talking about is how 
people are scared to share their story because they think it's shameful or it's ugly or they're ashamed of it. And when in fact, that's the very thing that God wants to take and just make, because it, it, it gives it life for somebody else and empowers somebody else to say, if God can do that in you, then he can definitely do that in me. It's totally true. It's totally true. And, and, you know, I've, I've been so privileged as a pastor when people share, let me into their brokenness, you know, and sometimes, you know, it, it's not even a scar yet. It's still a wound, you know, it's yeah. still kind of an, like it's a, it's raw. And those are holy moments to me, whether it's, it's the wound of like suffering, losing a loved one or a faith collapsing or a divorce, whatever, you know, and, and they let me into those holy places. But I think, okay, Together, we can witness the grace of God come coming in and, and bringing something beautiful here and restoring and redeeming. And so brokenness on its own, it, it's not an end in itself, first of all. And, you know, we're not going to stay in this state. But secondly, it's not the end of, of, of your life. It's not the end of your story. If you place it in Jesus's hands, uh, it becomes this middle movement that will eventually lead to giving out. Like you, like you already said, you know, we can minister to others. You know, I was thinking about that right now. It and it all comes down per, to perspective. And I was thinking, I'm able to look at things now and see how uh, ugly they are in past circumstances. And even when I'm going through stuff now, my perspective is okay. This is a really hard situation right now. But God, it, there's kind of an, an excitement to say, "But what are you going to do with it?" Like I know you're going to turn this into something good, and that gives me kind of hope. And yeah. an encouragement to say, what are you going to do with this now? Exactly right, man. And and one of the things I'm passionate about helping us remember is even the end of the story. You know, Christians have had this confession of faith called the Nicene Creed for 1700 years. And, and the last line of this confession of faith says, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So in other words, the end of our story is not an escape hatch, you know, to heaven or whatever. The end of our story is God renewing and restoring all things, including giving us resurrection bodies. So even, even what we do see here of redemption is just a hint. What's coming yeah. is still more glorious than that. You know? Yes. Amen to that. Okay. Let's go into given. Yeah. So out of that, out of that place of knowing who we are in Christ, our blessedness, our belovedness, out of the place of placing our brokenness in Jesus's hands, then comes this purpose, this sense of givenness. And that's why I say, you know, our brokenness is not the end of the story, nor is it an end in itself. Jesus wants to use it to to bring life to, to, to someone else. When he talks about himself, he says, I'm the bread of heaven given for the life of the world. Uh, or at Passover, when he says, this is my body given for you, you know, so uh, we are meant to kind of think about that. And, and then when Jesus sends his disciples out, he says, look, as the father has sent me, I'm sending you. So we can, we can think about how he was sent and then say, oh, so that's how I'm being sent. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, John, you were telling the story about the, the, your interaction with the waiter and the lunchtime stuff. I think... Man, what what if all of us every day woke up and said, God, send me into my day today, you know, send me into my lunch appointment, send me into my my uh, time with my kids, send me into. You know. And and again, another perspective shift of, of, of thinking of, of ourselves as like missionaries in every moment, you know, to yeah, we these these gifts. And and uh, I, I, I do believe that. Um, you know, it all, it all roots from a place of love for Jesus though. You mm -hmm. know, sometimes um, in church world, we can kind of get so wrapped up in the cause, you know, we get people all pumped up like, come on, 
do this for the sake of the lost or do this because, <laughs> you know, and I, I, it's good. But I, I personally believe the only thing that will really sustain us through the hard times is the love for Jesus. You yeah. know, um, and I think of that story at the end of John's gospel where Jesus is renewing Peter's calling after he's fallen away or denied him. And, and he basically says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Not Peter, don't you love the sheep? Or Peter, don't you love the gospel? Or Peter, don't you love the kingdom? You know, and uh, going through what we went through as a church in New Life, I, I just realized, man, the only thing that could carry us through dark, dark seasons, difficult times is that I still love Jesus. You know, I love Jesus, John. I, I'm not I'm not here because I'm cracked up about this institution or that institution. I, I, I believe in the local church and I do love the local church. But I love Jesus the most of all. You know? I just wrote that down, and I think that's so good that our foundation is in the love of Jesus. That's where we're grounded. And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, you'll know this somewhere in the scripture says they're, they're going to know us by our love. Mm-hmm. And I was really thinking about that recently because I have so many friends in different denominations and people get so caught up. And for instance, whether it's the gifts, if they exist or they don't exist, or we like them or we don't like them, or, I mean, the list goes on in the church world, right? There's so much division of, of really, I feel like stupid things. And, and I, and I, and I do because, because it says, how's the world going to know the love of Christ? If, if we're sitting here arguing over, we should drink or we shouldn't drink, or we should eat this or we should. I mean, Paul even addresses those things yeah. and says, yeah. it's not about eating or drinking. And, and don't get me wrong. It's all about personal conviction of my walk with the Lord, wherever I'm at. But I just think sometimes if we could just overlook those things and go back to what you just said, the foundation, my love for Jesus, I don't have to agree with everybody's doctrine in the Christian faith, but we're still called to be brothers and sisters. You know, I was, I was looking at pictures this morning and I was looking at my kids and they, uh, this, you know how Facebook shows up your pictures from forever ago. Well, it was my kids nine years ago, we were uh, at the beach and they were burying each other in the sand and with their heads sticking out. And I've got so much joy looking at their faces because they were excited about playing with each other. It brought back that memory. And I thought, how excited do you think the father gets when he looks down and all of us are playing nice together and and enjoying each other? I just, I thought, I think sometimes we miss that. It's so true. It's so true. And and there is a, you, you know, in the New Testament, you see these themes over and over again in Paul's letters of unity and holiness and you both, both matter. But, but he says there's, there's ways of staying together, staying as one while making some allowances for each other's personal convictions about stuff that is not quite the essentials, you know? And I, I, I think our unity turns into a kind of hospitality, you know, like as we are one. So think about your family and your kids, you know, you're happy, they're playing with one another. Then you open up the doors and invite guests into that. And it's a beautiful thing, you know? So that's a metaphor even of the church is, is as we strengthen our unity, we're also able to extend this hospitality toward the world. And in the book, I talk a lot about what it means for the church to practice a kind of radical hospitality in the world, you know? So that bread image what, a couple of the blessed, broken, given stories that Luke tells, one at the end of his gospel and then one at the end of the book of Acts, take place in, in 
non-religious spaces, if you will. You know, one is with these disciples on the road to Emmaus it's in their home, but they're kind of disillusioned disciples. With in our day, we might call them like the post-evangelicals or the post-Christians. You know, yeah. And then, and in the Book of Acts, Paul Paul's on a prison ship, and he's with a bunch of people who don't believe. And in both stories, Jesus and Paul take bread, bless it, break it, give it. The same formula. Um, and and what it says to me is they're testifying to the grace of God in the midst of a very quote unquote secular environment. And you know, John, I, I wonder about the church sometimes. Like I, I, we obviously have events and outreaches, and we invite people to church. I believe in that, but I also think this is the era where we have to get better about showing up at someone else's space. And, and, and carrying the, the love and the welcome of Jesus there in unexpected places, um, that, that's, that's going to be our ministry in this era. I'm writing that down. This is really good. I, I just, we need to show up in other people's places. Um, yeah. Because I think about, you know, how many people don't show up to church for whatever reason because they've been hurt or, you know, so-and-so Christian did that or somebody did that and they're never going to show up. But, you know, just going back to my story, even with that guy at the restaurant, you know, yeah. he, he might not show up, but Jesus wanted to show up in his life. Exactly. That, that day. And if we can go everywhere we go, whether it's work or church, I mean, even in the church, I mean, how many times do we get so caught up? My wife was on staff for years at a place and you know, it's easy to get caught up in the, in the work of the church mm-hmm. and, and we miss it. And sometimes people just need encouragement or they need Jesus to show just, just cause you're in church doesn't mean Jesus is there. Right. So true. And, uh, <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest, man. <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes people need some encouragement and some love wherever yeah. they're at. And, and that's really our job. And I, I think that's good, man, is, is giving that bread, uh, yeah. to them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, bringing that bread. Good. Okay, so what is radical hospitality? I wrote that down as you mentioned that in your book. I think radical hospitality looks like um, joining people where they are in the journey. You know. Yeah. Um, it, it looks, you know, in our in our world, you know, even with politics, everybody's so divided. But sometimes it's like we're not even trying to listen to the other person and to say, tell me what is hurtful to you about this. Tell me why you're passionate about this issue. Instead of labeling one another, oh, you're a social justice person or, oh, you're a fundamentalist. And, you know, well, set aside all that stuff and just say, tell me, tell me about why you care about this so much. What do you, where does this touch home for you? So joining people on their journey, that's radical hospitality. That's Jesus with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. It literally says their faces were downcast and Jesus comes and joins them on the journey. I love that. This yeah. is the risen Jesus. He could have been like, come to me, everyone. I am, res- I am risen. Here. He, goes right. looking, he goes looking for disappointed, disillusioned people and joins them. So it looks like that. I think it also looks like, um, telling them a more beautiful story. You know, I, I, um, I have found myself with um, many young people who have walked away from the faith who are wrestling with doubt because the version of Christianity they heard was an angry God, fundamentalism, or, or yeah. you know, whatever. And, and, and I'm able to say to them, well, can I tell you the story of the Bible in a different way? Can I tell you the Jesus story in a different way? And again, that's something else Jesus does in Luke 24 is he tells them all of the scriptures and he says how it all speaks of him. And it says their hearts were burning when he was telling them this, you know. So I do think there's a more beautiful story um, that we can show people the goodness of God throughout the Bible. And then, I, you know, thirdly, I, I think it's um, 
it's a little bit of, of testifying or, or bearing witness to, to God's gifts wherever they are. So exactly like what you did with this waiter is to say, by, by encouraging him and saying, hey, God has something for you. You know what you're doing? You basically showed him how the gifts of God are still um, at work around him or there's, yeah. there's grace around him, if you will. There's bread from heaven for him. And and man, we, that stuff can be as simple as, hey, can I pray for you? Yeah. Um, or tell me what's heavy on your heart right now or or, or something, you know, more, you know, um, like a word from the Lord. I, I, all of that stuff is so beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's funny. There's very few times in my life where I've heard other people say, uh, no, like when you ask me, Hey, can I pray for you? Very, very few people are going to say no, because all of us are going through something or need prayer yeah. in an area. And it's really, it's just a, it's an open invitation to share the love of Christ in somebody's yeah. life to, to show them enough that, Hey, God cares enough about you right now to allow me to pray for you because he put it on my heart. It's totally true. And Paul, you know, the story in Acts 27, I think it is that shipwreck. The first time he tries to speak up, the centurion pretty much tells him to be quiet. He's like, no, 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 I'm not listening to you. And the situation gets worse. And Paul's like, I've had a word from God. And and they're like, okay, we're listening. And his word from God is, we're not going to die. Now eat some food, you know? Yeah. And And then he prays in front of them and they let him. And so... Sometimes it's those moments, man, those moments of crisis that other people are going through. And if you could just be a faithful presence there, uh, you might get to bear witness to God's grace in their midst. That's good, man. Just being willing to do it. When, as soon as you said that, I was just thinking, God just needs us to show up sometimes because he has something for somebody. He's just saying, hey, can you show up for me on behalf of me today? And Amen. just encourage and possibly save, not, not that we save anybody, but save somebody for me uh, it's through you. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And, and using table metaphors at our church, we, we sometimes say, you know, on Sundays we gather at the Lord's table in our groups and community life, we're gathering at one another's table. But when we go out into the world, we're preparing a table, you know, we're yeah. able for people to meet with Jesus. You know, I love that. That's good. You know, it's in, in my line of work in, in the construction, what we talked about in my industry, it's, it's a pretty rough industry. I mean, you got a lot of the guys, I mean, every day, I mean, I'm hearing cussing and drinking and stories and, mm-hmm. and stuff. It's really rough. And, and it's really easy, especially contractors. They're, they're really, a lot of them, especially the more money they make it just very arrogant and proud and, and the way they treat their subs less than, and, you know, I always tell my guys, I said, um, that when we run our, our crews and our stuff, I says, you have an opportunity right now. You, yeah, you could get mad and you could cuss them out. Like we see other contractors doing stuff. I said, or we can represent Christ to the fullest and walk these guys through it, be a witness, be life to them and help them through their journey and be different than what they normally see. And man, I'm uh, ten. man. It just makes such, such a difference in represent representing Jesus through our business. Like, I don't have to go preach the gospel on the job site. They just see it by, we treat them differently than other contractors get treated. That's awesome, John. That's a perfect example of that, man. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So as we wrap it up, I got a couple last questions for you. One I never miss, and I'm curious. So Glenn, if you could go back to the younger you, you get to pick any age that you want. Okay. You're going to give yourself a pep talk, any advice you want to give yourself, but you can't change your future, but you're going to encourage yourself. What are you going to, what age and what are you going to tell yourself? Oh man, that's a good one. 
Boy, okay. I'd probably find find myself in my 20s, maybe young 20s, maybe I've just started here at New Life, 22, maybe 19 years ago. And I would say stay the course. There's going to be some there's going to be some ups and downs. Um surround yourself with good friends and stay the course. Uh, God is in the storm with you. Amen. Yeah. All right. I love it. Okay, so why don't you tell our listeners where we are going to find Bless Broken Given? How do we get a hold of it? And uh, how do we get a hold of you? If we want you as a pastor, maybe come speak at our church or do something. Yeah, well, the book is available everywhere. Everywhere books are sold. It came out August 6th. Uh, so your favorite bookstore or online retailer it may or not may or may not be Amazon, but that's a great place too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and then as for me, I, um, my website is glennpackiam.com. Glenn is with two N's and Pacquiam is P-A-C-K-I-A-M. Uh, or if you're on social media, I'm pretty active on Twitter and Instagram. Um, my handle on both of those is at G Pacquiam. So at G P-A-C-K-I-A-M. And yeah, I'd love to, love to keep up. And I, I do, I do, um, travel and speak from time to time, conferences and church events or whatever, but, uh, yeah. And it's been fun talking to you, John. Yeah, man. I appreciate that. Okay. So you get the mic, uh, last word of encouragement to our audience as we wrap up the show, my friend. The Lord is with you. Uh, the Lord is close to you. Um, the Holy spirit is, uh, how the presence of God is, is near. And so open up your hands and, uh, and welcome him. And then kind of flip the image a bit and put yourself in his hands. He's waiting for you. to. It's Jesus saying, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Put your whole life in his hands. Let him bless you. Let him break you. Let him give you for the life of the world. Uh, there's so much more that's waiting, but you don't have to carry the weight. You don't have to write your own story. You can place it in Jesus's hands. Amen to that. All right, Glenn, hold on just a second. Roar Nation, I hope you got something out of that today. I'm excited uh, to read Glenn's book because, uh, man, there's just so much as analogy bred in that, man, just life-giving stuff to encourage you to go out, be the change in the world around you, make an impact, and just know that uh, Jesus loves you. He's inside of you, wants to restore you, make your story uh, even more glorious than it already is, and go help those around you. So, if you guys need anything, please reach out to us on social media. Uh, I'm always on Facebook, my wife and I. And uh, remember, be real, be authentic, and be you. God bless. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You.